God, let these words be more than words. Give us the spirit of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. In ancient times, waters stood for chaos. In the first chapter of Genesis, the Spirit of God hovers over the waters. God brings life out of darkness, out of the waters, out of chaos. God parts waters. And God brings life and freedom out of human chaos as well. Scholars tell us that Exodus is at least partly an origin story for God's people. When that Red Sea parted, when the people marched out of Egypt, escaped slavery, when God's people walked through on dry ground, they wrote their origin story. The reading concludes, the people believed in God and in Moses. And salvation was, at least partly, an act of creation. The people of the Bible became something new, became the people saved by God. That night, with the fiery cloud and Egyptian army at their back, and with the sea ahead of them, God's people learned who God would be to them. God is a God who saves. Our God sees us through the chaos to freedom. It's been a long weekend. Friday morning, we learned that former police officer Jason Stockley was found not guilty of the murder of Anthony Lamar Smith. Perhaps this verdict feels most painful because it feels like nothing has changed. Hundreds of protests happened after Ferguson. We marched, we met, we prayed. After countless dialogues, discussions, and trainings, it feels like nothing has changed. Earlier this week, I had coffee with a colleague, an attorney, who spent most of her career working pro bono or legal aid cases. She practiced what is sometimes called poverty law. This was several days before the verdict came out, and my friend was sure that the officer would be found not guilty. Missouri law, in her estimation, gives some of the broadest authorizations to police to use force under any state law. She said it would be almost impossible to prove premeditated murder, even with the evidence so many of us have seen and heard. I told my colleague I was still holding out hope early this week that there would be something other than a not guilty verdict, some continuance or lesser charge. And sadly, my colleague was right. She knew this history, she knew the law, and she knew the judge. In the last few days, we have seen pain and anger erupt again in St. Louis. We've seen some of the chaos this weekend. Streets and businesses shut down, tear gas has been sprayed, rubber bullets have been shot, bricks have been thrown, windows have broken, protesters have been arrested. Protesters were huddling inside a synagogue on Friday night. Rabbi Susan Talvey of Central Reform was standing between them and the police. I know a number of us are feeling sad, angry, frustrated. And I know that for some folks it's personal. I know a number of you here had tickets for the U2 concert last night that was canceled. I know that's one of our demographics. I know some of you are upset that the Ed Sheeran, or Shireen show was canceled. That's one of our demographics too. I know some of you were just upset that last night in the protest you missed seeing Nick Cannon who is out there protesting on Del Mar. That's another demographic. 
And I know a number of you have no idea who any of those folks are. <laughs> That's a, another distinct group here at Holy Communion. And I know that many of us wish this would all just go away, just calm down. I want to invite you to pause. I want to invite you to pause. Over and over again, we've heard these protests are about the verdict that was released Friday. Newscasters and neighbors have debated evidence, talked about whether this man's death serves as a worthy cause to protest. I want to ask, is this verdict really the reason for the protest? Is the death of Anthony Lamar Smith really at the heart of what we're seeing in St. Louis? I ask that question because so much of the debate seems centered on the evidence in this particular case. So much of the news coverage switches between images out on the streets and legal scholars debating the merits of the case. I have hang-ups about what the judge decided. Full disclaimer, I do not have a law degree but I have a hard time when a judge introduces conjecture into an opinion, and particularly when a white official uses words like urban to describe his bias in the case. The verdict reads with such a double standard. The judge starts the opinion with pages about how he is bound to find the facts of the case, not to be swayed by public opinion. Then he tells us that in his opinion, it would be an anomaly for an urban heroin dealer not to have a gun. Let's talk about anomalies. It would be an anomaly for a white judge to convict a white police officer for killing a black person. Beyond that, I promise I'm going to leave the questions of legality and judicial analysis to the attorneys. This weekend, I kept coming back to something I heard from our friend Noah Bullock when we were down in El Salvador this summer. Noah is the executive director of Christosol, an organization we partner with fighting for human rights in Central America. And Noah was talking about how often human rights abuses are committed against people who are labeled as criminals. Noah said, even if someone has a criminal record, they have human rights. That's part of what we mean when we call rights inalienable. Christians only believe in one blameless victim. That's Jesus. Moses didn't have a clean record. Remember, this is the guy who leads God's people out of Egypt, but before he gets there, he killed an Egyptian. I want to ask, is the best use of our energy debating the facts of this specific case, or should we be seeing what is happening in St. Louis as one facet of a larger question? Is all of this anger part of a larger story? Can we see the pain and anger as part of something bigger, something, dare I say, systemic? If we spend our energy defending the verdict, are we ignoring the system? the systemic racism so many encounter day in and day out in this city, in this country. Is all of this really about a not guilty verdict? Really? Ask yourself. Question your newscaster and your coworker. Is one verdict all that's at stake? Or is the verdict a symptom? A small group of us from Holy Communion tried to join in an action down at Keener Plaza yesterday. I say we tried because after we'd walked all those blocks and arrived, we found out that we were in the wrong place. So we drove up to Del Mar. After marching just a few blocks, I got a phone call 
from organizers asking if Holy Communion might serve as a sanctuary, the way that Central Reform had done the night before, in case the action turned into a massive confrontation. So I spent most of yesterday evening standing at the doorway of University United Methodist Church, where we determined it was more likely the protesters would end up, waiting to see which way the march would turn. On that stoop outside University United Methodist, it it turned into a bit of an interfaith pastors meeting. An Orthodox Jewish rabbi walked over, Presbyterian colleague Johanna from Trinity was there, UCC pastors, more Methodists than you could count, Presbyterians. We were all hanging out there on the stoop. And we talked and we were waiting to see if we were needed. I know not everyone in this congregation feels comfortable joining in the protests. I personally have struggled with how to engage. I struggle with these protests, I really do. Seeing all that broken glass in the loop this morning, after I listened to the organizers telling folks to leave peacefully, to go home, it makes me angry. I trained as a community organizer in my last parish, and I find the kind of protest that we've seen in St. Louis frustrating. I want planned, direct action to provoke some specific reactions. I want a list of demands. I worry that the statements we have heard from the governor and the mayor about protecting the right to protest, they mean that many of our officials don't plan on making any changes. They don't see the organizers as a body that can move for change, but rather as a problem to manage. Our government is simply waiting out the activists. I feel frustrated and, and, as a white, cisgendered clergyman, I know that part of my job, most of my job, especially right now, is to keep listening. Even as I struggle with how to respond to the calls to clergy and people of faith to show up, I keep thinking about this story from Exodus. That next morning, after the walk through the sea, the Egyptian army is no more. Israel is no longer in Egypt's land. But the work has just begun. The walk has just begun. God's people don't cross through the Red Sea and march straight into the Promised Land. It's not that easy. They march into the desert, into the wilderness. Back in February, Dr. Howard John Wesley, the pastor of Alfred Street Baptist Church in the Washington, D.C. area, he talked about Dr. King. Dr. King took some time in Jamaica after the passing of the Civil Rights Act in 1964 and the Voters' Rights Act in 1965. Brother Martin took some time after these landmark wins to contemplate what came next. After these laws were passed, there were still riots in Watts in Los Angeles, California, and worker strikes up in Detroit, Michigan. So Dr. King took some time, went down to Jamaica to think and to pray. While he was down there, he wrote his fourth and final book, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos or Community? Pastor Wesley argues that we are still asking that question in America today. Where do we go from here? That's the question facing God's people who've just crossed the sea, isn't it? 
where do we go from here? And after this verdict, after this weekend, after these three long years in St. Louis, Missouri, where do we go from here? From Dr. King's perspective, there were two potential destinations, chaos or community. You can wander around the desert lost forever, or you can start making your way to Jerusalem. Over the next days, I will continue to turn up for actions, because I believe it's important to witness the pain and the anger in the black community. And I believe it is important to witness the moments like I did last night, hours before any property damage occurred, when the leaders of the rally in the loop told folks to go home. I believe I have listening to do. I will be taking my own safety and the safety of anyone who comes out from Holy Communion very seriously. I would rather err on the side of caution. But I want to make another commitment with you today. And that commitment is this. Our work won't end when this season of protests quiets down. A few weeks ago, your senior warden, Scott Ferguson, and I hosted a small gathering of clergy and lay church leaders from around the St. Louis metro area. We met with an organizer friend of mine from Washington, D.C., who talked about work that has been done in Baltimore and Cleveland over the past three years. See, Cleveland and Baltimore saw similar protests following officer-involved shootings of black people in 2014. But there's an important difference between our city and those cities. Both Baltimore and Cleveland have elected new prosecutors in the last two years. And in both of those cities, every candidate who ran for county prosecutor promised to engage a special prosecutor for every officer-involved shooting. We have had no such promise here in St. Louis. Both of those cities have a coalition led by people of faith that demanded action and sustained attention after the protests were through. Interfaith coalitions with that kind of power, they take a long time to build. Faith organizations that can win protections for human rights, for human dignity, they take time and energy. My friend, the organizer, Martin Trimble, he was with us a couple weeks ago, He described the years ahead of building relationships, and he called it something that just stuck in my mind. He said, what is ahead, if we want to do this kind of work, is slow, patient work. I keep coming back to that phrase. Slow, patient work. I know folks in this congregation who were here when we broke redlining trying to keep black folks out of University City, folks in this congregation who held one of the first interracial marriages in a church in the St. Louis area, they know what that slow, patient work looks like. I have a feeling that what's next involves a mix of listening, of witnessing, and if we really want to see a change, it's going to take a great deal of slow, patient work. So today I finish this sermon with an invitation to pray. Pray for the St. Louis region. Pray for the days and nights ahead. And if you can, pray with your feet. Stay safe. Pray with your feet if you can. But after these nights pass, keep praying. 
Build relationships. Question the narrative you're receiving. Question the judgments you read. And listen. The road to the promised land is long. And we will only get there together. We're seeing these days that it will take a great deal of slow, patient work to follow God out of the chaos and into the beloved community. May God bless the journey. Amen.